This morning we're taking a look at a passage of scripture that we've actually come back to a number of times. It's, it's a great encapsulation, a description of the life of the early church, the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus, uh, this Holy Spirit-filled community. It's just a beautiful picture of, of what the church was as, as they began to live out this life in Jesus Christ. So it, it describes their way of life both in public places and, and in their homes. And you'll notice that this is a way of life that is rooted in the apostles' teaching, or as the text says, devoted to the apostles' teaching. It, it's, Christianity was not itself uh, a, way, a way of life. It wasn't just a, a moral code to follow or a social system. It was essentially a faith, a belief that God had done something through Jesus Christ. And it is that it's, it's a belief in that God that led to this beautiful way of life that we, we read about here. So it's, it's, it starts with belief. And we're, we're starting a new sermon series today on the Apostles' Creed. We're calling it I Believe. And now when I share this with you, okay, we're going to be focusing on the Apostles' Creed for a number of weeks. You could be like Carlos, who came up to me this morning, and he said, Hey, JP, this is so exciting. I'm so glad we're, you know, we're doing this. I'm looking forward to the new series. Or you could be like everyone else and say, boring. <laughs> Seriously, you're going to preach on, on a, can you even preach on a creed? Aren't you supposed to just focus on scripture texts? And uh, Fair enough. I, his pastor, John Ortberg, I've shared this before, but he said, if you want to draw a crowd, you preach on three things. One, sex. Two, the end times, and thirdly, will there be sex in the end times? And that's how you draw a crowd. You wouldn't draw a crowd by preaching about a creed. That's boring. But if the creed is a summary of what we believe, what we believe is crucially important. And I, I was trying to introduce this a little bit on Easter Sunday for those of you who joined us at the Collins Center but what we believe is crucially important, and the illustration I gave was when I go ice fishing, and you can go ice fishing on really thick, safe ice, and you could go out on the ice with fear and trepidation and not knowing, or you could go fishing on very thin ice that will never hold a person and feel very confident walking on it, you're going to fall through. The, the important thing isn't the quality of your belief or how sincerely you believe something. The important thing is, what are you putting your faith in? Is it solid or is it thin? And that's the key. So when we start to say, well, what is it do that we really believe? What are the core beliefs of our Christian faith? They are crucially important. So we're, we're focusing on the, uh, what's called the Apostles' Creed. Again, a creed is, the, well, the word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which just means I believe. It's just a summary of belief. And the Apostles' Creed is essentially a summary of the teaching of the Apostles. And it, it was not written by the Apostles themselves. Uh, it was written as a summary of their teaching. In the earliest forms of this particular creed, it's, it's the oldest existing creed that we know of, or one of the most ancient. The earliest forms of it we see as early as the second century, the way that we use it today, the form that we have it, was essentially solidified by about the 4th century, although some of the phrases, you know, there's been variations. It's evolved over time a little bit, but a very ancient creed of, of the church. 
And originally, it was used as a way to, uh, to help, to help non-Jewish believers understand who Jesus was and what he had done. For Jewish believers, it was easier. You just say, okay, Jesus is the, is the Jewish Messiah, and they had a much better context for who God was. But for those coming out of polytheistic or Roman beliefs about God or gods, a much a, a, needed a different starting point, needed a clearer description of who God was. And it was most commonly used at the time of somebody's baptism. So baptism was the time when people would affiliate or say, I am devoted to this Jesus. I'm being baptized into this name of, of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I am associating with, that, with the new family that this creates. And this is the type of creed that could be used to teach somebody or that they would confess at a baptism. And, and many traditions still use this creed at baptism, even today. But I do want to be clear. What a creed is not, a creed is not scripture. It is not authoritative God's word as when we read scripture and when we study that. So as we look into this, we always got to keep that in mind, that this is a, a summary of belief. It's not itself God's word. Yet, to the extent that it reflects scripture, or as I hear Pastor Brian say, to the extent that it reflects the heat and the light of scripture, this is a very beautiful thing to look at and to understand rightly and to and even to study together, focus on together. Second thing is that it's not, it's also not useless or outdated. And we can get that, you know, why even bother with this old thing? Why don't we just just me and Jesus or me and Scripture, why, why isn't this outdated? Uh, it, the reason why it's still useful for us is that it's, it has stood the test of time. It's been useful for teaching and for training and for reminding us what we believe and uh, for teaching new believers or people seeking about the faith or teaching children, even using it in the context of worship, just we, on occasion, say it together in our corporate worship. It regrounds us. Before we worship God, we declare together who we believe God is and what he has done. And it regrounds us that our worship might be grounded in who God really is. So it's, it's not just that it's outdated or useless. It's very useful in many ways. But the third thing is the creed is not, also not magical. That if you were to say it enough times or say it the right way, that it has some sort of power as you say it. The, remembering, it's the object of our faith that's important, not, not the words that we use to express that, that faith. So I, when we say, I believe, my point is this. When we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the important thing is that our faith is in God the Father Almighty, not the rituals that I use or the, the creeds or confessions that I use to describe that. So it's not that the creed itself is powerful, but it reflects truth about a very powerful and real God. And that's why we're focusing on this. Now, there's other creeds and confessions of the faith throughout history that we could focus on. This is the one that is most uh, widely accepted, that has, uh, has the, you know, the longest history. And uh, so we're going to... It really focuses on the major aspects, the, the major tenets of our faith, and not as specific on some other issues that uh, Christians would disagree on. So, so we're focusing on this. Here's my goal this morning. I want to introduce you to this idea about the I believe, the creed, and 
I hope that as we drill down into the core, the core beliefs of our faith, that it will reground us and, and reinvigorate us, that, and that you'll see that it's not, not only is it not boring, but it's, these are life-changing truths and very practical in our day-to-day life. And I hope to show you that even today. So three things I want to show you. One is that this creed anchors us in the gospel. Secondly, I want to show you that this creed drives us deep into scripture. And thirdly, that this creed fuels our mission together. And uh, that's my hope this morning. Let's pray as we do this. So Father God, we thank you for who you are. And we do put our faith in you. We believe in you. And because of that, Lord, we also believe that you are here and by your Holy Spirit, you are at work even now. So I pray that you would just speak to hearts this morning. Do your good work, Lord. This is yours. This church is yours. This time is yours. So we give it to you. And we pray, these, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our right, first thing about the creed is that the creed anchors us in the gospel. From the very beginning, when we say, I believe, we are setting ourselves apart from other religion and, and systems of thought. And I, I, I'll explain what I mean by that. But the word believe is an interesting word because in English, we don't use it the way that Scripture uses the word belief. For example, you come to church next week and you, you may not see me. And somebody, you could say, Where, where's JP? Somebody might say, well, I believe he's in North Andover this morning. That's why you don't see him. Somebody else might say, I know he's on vacation. That person would be right. <laughs> but the person who said, I believe he's in North Andover, is expressing something that's not based in knowledge. They're basically saying, I don't know. I, I believe this is the case. It's actually opposed to knowledge. The, the way that the Bible describes belief is not, it's not opposed to knowledge. It's actually rooted in knowledge. It begins with knowledge. It's, the word faith is actually a better word. Belief and faith in English is the same, in the New Testament Greek, is the same word, it's the same root. We're really talking about faith, and it starts with knowing something, but not just knowing it. Because Scripture says even you know, we, we, what we believe about Jesus, even Satan believes that Jesus existed and that he died and rose again. That, you know, the demons believe these things, Scripture says. So it's, it's not just knowledge. It goes from knowledge to trust. That not only do I know it, but I'm placing my faith and my trust in it. And it goes beyond trust to commitment. Not only do I trust in it, but I am committing myself. I'm devoting myself to it. And it goes beyond that. That, it, that it's a knowledge that I trust and I'm committing to that is now alive and driving me towards action. It's never meant to just be a knowledge that just sits on a shelf, but knowledge that pushes us to obedience. Jesus taught his disciples. He commissioned them. He said, you're going to go, my followers, go and make more disciples of all people. And there's two ways you make a disciple. One is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are committing and associating to me in my name, in my promises. Baptism. And the other, the second part of it is teaching them obedience. So that this connection to me is going to drive, is going to prompt a way of life that is obedient to God and His commands. 
And that's essentially how Jesus commissioned his people to go. But it starts with faith. It starts with the belief. The, the singer Rich Mullins, a Christian singer and songwriter, he, he wrote a song about the Apostles' Creed with the words of the Apostles' Creed. The song was called Creed. And he, in between the words of the Creed, he says this. He says, I believe what I believe is what makes me what I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. It's the very truth of God and not the invention of any man. He's saying what I believe is making me something. What I believe is driving me to action. My, my belief is, is such a core value that it's, it's driving every part of my life. What you believe will drive your life. It will determine how you live. So if what I believe determines how I live, how I live will determine my experience of life. Am I enjoying the fullness of life or am I just experiencing frustration and the meaninglessness of life? And if life is eternal, as Scripture teaches, am I enjoying the fullness of life eternally or will I eternally not? So belief is, is crucially important. Now, when I say, back to the idea here is, when we say, I believe, we are separating ourselves from other systems of thought. Because in the Christian faith, we say, I believe, not I do. As a Christian, this is what, this is what God has done. I believe that Jesus Christ was crucified and dead and was buried and rose again and ascended to heaven and he will return. I believe in what he has done and what he is doing. Not, I, this is what I do. This is how I achieve. This is how I uh, somehow earn something from God. The difference between the good news of Jesus and, and all other systems of thought is rooted in this. It's the difference between do versus done. And religious thought and systems and ways of life is all about what I do, how I live, what I accomplish. In the Christian faith, it is about what is done, what has been accomplished on my behalf. That at the core of our faith, we believe that every person has fallen short of God's standard. Every person has sinned. But God does not leave us dead in our sin. But on our behalf, takes that death on himself. On the cross, Jesus on the cross, dies in our place to give us new life. And our faith is not on what I accomplished, but what he accomplished on the cross. And that's, that is unique in all world religions. That is unique in, in all philosophies. That our, the, our, our core of who we are is rooted in a belief in that, not an action. It's a belief that will lead us to great action. But it's fundamentally what God has accomplished. Now you might say, well, you know, there's other religions that have belief in, in, in uh, confessions of faith. In, the, in Islam, the Muslim confession of faith, is, uh, it's called the Shahada. It's the, you know, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. And this is a core belief, a confession of faith. But it's just one of the five pillars of Islam. So one is this confession of faith, but the, uh, they're all about doing. It's about 
the other pillars are prayer and fasting and almsgiving and pilgrimage if you're able. It's just one among a number of things that you need to accomplish. But in Christianity, it's actually the belief that justifies us. In Romans chapter 10, it says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You see that there's something that you believe in your heart that God did, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the belief is such that you confess it with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord now of my life because of what God has accomplished. This is my faith and what he's accomplished and nothing else. And that is what, that is, salvation comes through that. Not in what I accomplish, not in what I do. And so when we start the creed and we say, I believe, it anchors us in the good news of what God has done. That's the first thing. The second thing that as we look at this creed or at what we believe, the core of what we believe, we'll see that the creed drives us deep into Scripture. And it's going to push us in the scripture in a very balanced way so that we don't get out of balance spiritually or just too focused on one aspect of who God is. And the analogy we use is uh, what we call mirror muscles. So I don't know if, if uh, any of you go to the gym or if you in, intend to go to the gym or maybe you used to go to the gym. You know, the, you want to be healthy and, and, and balanced in your life. You want a nice sort of perfect muscular physique, like, you know, like Pastor Brian or someone like that. So, who does the CrossFit because it's a total body workout and he's very, it's just toned all over. It's great. But that's not usually what happens, especially for guys who go to the gym. I'm going to pick on the guys for a minute. When guys go to the gym, what do they do? They, they start with a, a very small muscle group of the body, the biceps, which you don't use often, but you go right for it because why? Because you can see them in the mirror. So they start, you know, doing the curls. And then they'll just bench, press, bench, 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 curls, curls, curls. And maybe some shoulders, maybe some back, but more bench, 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 curls, curls, curls. And you get mirror muscles, but you become very unbalanced. And some of these guys, and you've seen them, maybe you've done this in your life, you end up looking like a, a pear that's inverted with two toothpicks in it. That's the physique. With this big, huge up top, and then just these little chicken legs. <laughs> this is true. The Apostles' Creed keeps us from getting spiritual mirror muscles. For example, it keeps our faith from just becoming whatever your favorite verse is. So, a lot of people, your favorite verse might be Psalm 23. And, you know, God is my shepherd, and God guides me, and he leads me. And your faith becomes very much about, okay, God, God is my guide. God, God leads me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, he's sort of, I need help. I need guidance, so I go to God. And that's God's primary role in your life is this personal guide. But you forget that, that and that's true, but that falls very short of who God is. Because God, as we understand of the creed, is almighty, He's Savior. He's Judge of the world. He's the Lord of my life, not the Coach of my life, not my little personal assistant. You see, the you see, you, you could get out of balance if you just narrow down your 
faith to one truth. Or, for example, if you're very excited about that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you should be excited about that. That's a profound truth of our faith, that we can have a personal relationship with God. And you want other people to have a personal relationship with God. And your personal relationship with God is great. And you and God, it's all good. But the creed remind us that our faith is not just this personal relationship, but now we have a new family, that it's corporate, because we talk about the holy Catholic church. Catholic just means universal. That there's a holy universal church all around us of God's people. And there's the communion of saints. That's all God's people connected to one another. That my faith isn't just, isn't just my personal relationship, but it's also my new family and this new, uh, new life I have together with others. And, if, and again, look at this passage of Scripture here in verse 30, 42. You know, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. It's a very communal picture. So as we... As we reground ourselves in the creed, we're reminded again of this, the communal nature of our faith, not just individual. It keeps us from getting out of balance. And really, it just gives us a, full, a fuller picture of who God is than just what people think God is like. And many people in this country, many of them claim to be Christians or they, they attend a Christian church, but their ideas about God are very ambiguous and not very scriptural. You know, there's a God out there, and that God wants me to be good, and that God out there wants me to be happy, and if I'm in trouble, that God out there might help me, and I'll call on him then, but otherwise, you know, I'll just do my best, and good people will go to heaven, and hopefully bad people will go to hell, and that's just sort of their view. That's just not what the Bible teaches, and that's why we need to be driven back into his word to see him for all who he really is, not just some... God who's like a genie or an old nice person up in the sky. Now, this has very practical implications. And even, even as you interact with the world around you, that remembering our core beliefs and who God is. Because you may get, you may get into a conversation. You know, you're living out your faith every day. You're in your place of work. You're in your neighborhood. Uh, you're in school, wherever you are every day. And you may get into a conversation about faith. And you may notice that there are times when that conversation goes to some issue of the day. You know, what do you believe about legalization of marijuana or stem cell research or human sexuality or this issue, that issue? And, and you end up getting into a debate or something in your Christian faith about, and you end up trying to convince somebody that your view is true. But you always have to remember your view is rooted in, uh, in who God is and how he's revealed himself. And you, you could be talking to somebody who doesn't believe that you know, Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died and rose again. And your point of departure in your worldview is very earlier than this kind of specific issue or moral dilemma or ethical thing of the day. But we get focused on that. And even if you were to convince them that your view is right, they don't believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. So you have, a, you have a, a radical point of departure. So we need to be careful not to get too hung up with people on these issues that flow from a very core belief. That we can, in our conversations and in our lives, point people back to the source, back to God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So it's just something you can keep grounded and deep in Scripture. In that. Lastly, so the creed, uh, it 
It anchors us in the gospel. It drives us deep into scripture. And lastly, it fuels our mission. And this text is just a beautiful example of that. That's why I'm drawn to this passage of scripture. Because this common faith, a common belief that we hold to gives us a common way of life together and connection to one another. Look at verses 44 and 45. You know, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were, you know, they're, they're practicing radical generosity now to one another because they're rooted in it and they share belief and now they share all of life. And, and, and God is... Uh, God has called us to that. If we truly believe that God gave everything for us, then we, this creates a whole new way that we can be giving towards one another. And the impact that it has on the world around us as we live on mission for God in the world. Look at verses, look at 43. Everyone's filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed. Skipping down verse 47. You know, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the common belief led to this beautiful way of life, and people in the world were joining in. Every day, more people coming to know this same God of the Bible. And it's just a... I pray that God would add to our numbers too, that as we live this way of life, that God would be bringing other people to come to know him and to be part of this, a community of Christian love. That's our prayer. And just very practical ways too. When we, in the creed, we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. If you truly believe in the forgiveness of sins, you believe that you have sinned, and you also believe that only the death of Jesus Christ can pay for that, and the resurrection of Jesus victorious over it, to, to bring you wholeness and forgiveness and new life. If you really believe that, then that's going to change how you go about life when you wrong somebody else. Because you can try real hard to make it up to somebody and work real hard. And, you know, if I sin against my wife, you know, I'll do the dishes and I'll, you know, I'll go to the gym more and I'll, do, I'll, I'll clean your car, whatever, you know, trying to make it up. But if we realize that, you know, the only way we can deal with our sin with, in front of God is that we just go to him and ask forgiveness, that we can just humbly say, look, I, I've wronged you. I can't just make it up to you. Will you forgive me? Or in your place of work, say, yeah, I messed up. And just owning our own failure in, in a way that reflects how God has shown us that we can receive forgiveness. And the way that you offer forgiveness to others that you'll be wronged by people, by people even you, you love and care about, by people you work with, by people you interact with. You, you could become annoyed and hold grudges, or you can remember that you've been forgiven so greatly. I can extend that around me. Do you see how practical it is? The, a, core, a core belief that we are forgiven, now it just changes how I seek forgiveness from others and can extend it to others. It's just, it's just very practical, and if that, these beliefs are going to fuel our life and our mission together. So our creed anchors us in the gospel, it drives us deep into scripture, and it fuels our mission with the world around us. So we're going to explore phrase by phrase through this. And we're going to look at the scripture, that, that the, the heat and the light of scripture that is reflected through these words. And we're going to explore that together and reground ourselves. Focus on what is important. And as we do, we remember that every time we say, I believe, 
we're also saying we are pledging our allegiance to the God of the Bible. We are, we are also renouncing all other systems of thought, all other false gods, all other ways of finding fulfillment, all uh, false gods and materialism and all the things that we could pursue. We're saying, I believe and I am devoted and I put my faith in, in this and what God has done and not any of these other things. And may God, uh, may God bless us with this same great fruit and uh, in favor and just a life of fullness as we pursue him together. Amen.